Rosie and Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, The Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. The Roselli Agency. Brian and his team of insurance professionals have been serving the needs of Chester County for more than two decades. Anthony DiCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. She don't look for all my faults. She don't point out when I'm wrong. She could leave me when I'm gone, but she don't. She don't let me go when I'm going through hell. When life feels like a prison cell. When I could give up on myself, she don't. She don't. She don't. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show. From his home state of Arkansas to Nashville, Tennessee, to the great state of Texas, our guest this evening has been putting in the work and putting out great music for years. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show singer, songwriter, and rising country music star, David Adam Burns. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you all for having me. It's our David, pleasure. it's our pleasure. We, we're so glad to have you, and, and we're looking forward to, to getting to know you. And we thought we would start with something that um, that happened quite a ways back. When you attended your first George Strait concert, we understand that it had quite the impact on you. So what was it about George's music that, that impacted you the way it did? What resonated with you so much about his music? And how much did it impact you personally and musically? Well, you know, I was three years old, so I can't say that I truly know what part of the music it was that affected me. <laughs> but I, uh, you know, for some reason, my parents took me to that concert. It was my first show. And I don't know, I from that day on, I wanted to be like George. And, you know, I remember being a little kid. There's people to this you know, day that didn't even know my name. They knew me as little George. <laughs> so, um, But, you know, I, as I grew older, you know, I just reflected and, and reflect is probably not a word that makes sense. I, I uh, I just fell in love with that Texas honky tonk sound, and uh, you know a lot of the '90s, you know, in general, that was the kind of music, and obviously it was influenced by him and guys like Randy Travis. But you know, when I listened to the radio every morning with my dad, that that's what you heard. And so, uh, you know, I'm not one of them artists that grew up listening to every genre, all these different ones. I mean, in our house, it was country or bust. So it might have been a little bit more of it was forced down my throat, but I embraced it instead of rebelling, and that's the kind of music I've always loved since. But when did you start actually playing or, or expressing an interest in playing an instrument or learning and singing and all of that? I, I mean, honestly, right then, you know, I would stand up on people's fireplaces when, when I'd go to my mom and dad's friends and start singing. I, uh, you know, I, I would go on the back porch. I don't know if y'all saw that viral video of the little kid back there with his fake guitar and stuff. I mean, that was me. I, I laughed so hard when I saw that, but uh, you know, when I was five, my dad had a little group of his work that would go around the nursing homes and just, you know, a bunch of guys with guitars. It wasn't truly, truly a band, I would say, but uh, I started going with them, you know, in kindergarten and every Monday night playing at the nursing homes and retirement centers around central Arkansas. And, you know, I started doing talent shows and just, you know, anywhere that I could have a chance to sing. But as far as really getting out, getting a guitar and really, really playing, you know, I, I, uh, I broke my leg the last day of spring football practice, my, my ninth grade year. And that's when I learned how to play guitar. So it was a blessing in disguise. And so my junior year, I put my very first band together and really started going around and playing. <laughs> I called it the backyard tour. 
We'd, uh, we'd play anybody <laughs> with a backyard to let us come play. And then that kind of led to a few of the little, you know, dive bars. And by the, you know, my senior year, I was out playing clubs. You know, I remember I would throw off my pads on Friday night and we'd hightail to wherever the show was. And so, you know, it's pretty much all through high school. It was always music somewhere. Well, but you just segued right into the next question. What's this about you opening for Hank Williams Jr. the night of your graduation? Yeah, you know, I got the phone call. They said, uh, you know, would you have any interest in being an opener for Hank Jr.? I was like, oh, let me think about it. <laughs> yeah, But uh, it happened to be uh, right the same night as my uh, high school graduation. So luckily the last name uh, Burns is in the B. So I was one of the first ones to be able to, to walk across the stage. But I had about three or four of the teachers that kind of knew what was up. So I could walk across, get my diploma, threw up a deuces, ran out a back door. I remember my sister met me somewhere in the hallway of that arena. <laughs> it hit me. I was like, you know, the whole point of graduation is to throw the hat in the air. So I just threw my hat at her, jumped in. I was throwing on my Wranglers as we're going down the road. I, my dad's Mr. You know, you do everything by the book. I think that's the one and only time he's ever sped trying to get me across the, the Arkansas river to the Little Rock side. And, yeah, that was a cool experience. And uh, man, little did I know that was kind of the, the tone setter from life after high school. Your father must have been so proud. He was, you know, I, I guess he's kind of one that instilled this with me. You know, I always kind of laugh and say, you know, most kids watch Big Bird and Barney and stuff. No, we, my dad had on the country station until he went to work and then I'd flip over to TNN and watch videos. So I don't know. It's always kind of been our thing. That is that is absolutely amazing. Do, do you, looking back, was there anything that you can say as an artist, as young as you were at the time, that you kind of learned from from being there with Hank Jr.? Uh, don't drink too much before you play. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, that was honestly probably the biggest thing of it. But uh, now, you know, for me with Hank Jr., one thing I've always been impressed with is just how well-versed of a musician he is, you know? I mean, I it made me want to be able to play my guitar the best I could. I mean, he picks up a fiddle, he plays guitar. I mean, piano, there's not an instrument he doesn't pick up. And so I don't know if there's anything I took from that show that day. It was just how impressed I was with that. Now, as I say that, <laughs> guitar is the only thing I, I, you know, that I do play besides singing, but it just, I don't know, it opened my eyes to that musician side of things that really made me want to focus on that when I made the move to Nashville, which I'm sure I'm jumping questions already again on you. Yeah, you are. You're, you, you're very into Did you see our notes? <laughs> no, but I chugged a coffee and it ain't my first rodeo, so I'm, I'm feeling it, man. So what was that experience like for you? Because you left when you were like, what, 19? You pack, did, did you drive or fly there? Did you pack up the car? No, I drove. I, uh, you know, I, I didn't go in blind. My mom and dad begged me to do the college thing. So literally, you know, I did the Hank Jr. show and I think that following Monday, well, no, that was Memorial Day weekend. Anyway, sometime that next, that, uh, that next week, uh, I had a, a friend of mine that, you know, I say friend, someone that became a friend over the years, took me to Nashville and just introduced me to a few people. So meanwhile, I, I entertained the, the college idea that lasted a whole half a semester and wasted a lot of money. But uh, so I had met some folks and I wasn't completely blind. And so I remember I was kind of in that crossroads. I knew I wanted to go to Nashville. Mom and dad, you know, my dad, you know, you got to have a plan. There's got to be, you can't just pack up and go somewhere not knowing anything. And so, uh, you know, I was still playing all the clubs at home. We had a, a weekly show in my hometown at the our, at our Mexican restaurant called Casa Mexicana. And that was really where we built this thing up. I mean, it was Tuesday night. It would be a line out the door trying to get in this place. And I remember uh, 
the guy that ultimately got me to move was originally supposed to have been the fourth member of Rascal Flats. And so when he called me, he was like, man, he goes, you need to just quit making trips. It's time to do it. And right when he called me, the flats came on the TV. So I told him, yes, I'd already sent him the money for the first month's rent and all that. But my mom and dad didn't know until I showed up for that last Tuesday night concert. I was like, by the way, y'all, this is the last time we'll be doing this. I'm moving to Nashville next week. So I, uh, I don't know. I just jumped in blind and went and, hit the ground running. I mean, I remember that first night I was there, you know, I got to meet people that wrote some of the biggest hits for Tim McGraw and Kenny and people like that. And just, I don't know, from day one, it was just an instant. This is where I'm supposed to be and off to the ground running. Wow. Well, and then uh, tell you, it sounds like you, you got to work with some, uh, some really talented. Well, obviously I think in, in Nashville, there's nothing but talented songwriters, <laughs> but I I read where you did have a chance to work with with some of the best while you were there. I did. I mean, I still do to this day. Obviously, it's a little more zoomish than in person, but I uh, you know I, I made it a point. I don't know why I knew this when I was so young, but just to be a sponge. So you know, the first year was really me learning how to be an, a musician. You know, you, you got to play with you know it's Monday night and you're playing with Toby Keith's band because they're just looking to make side hustle money when they're off the road. You know, so I got to be around the best of the best and that led to meeting people. I mean, it all really started at the fiddle and steel guitar bar. That, that was where I met my crew. I met a guy named Rick Tiger that became my first songwriting mentor. And I met Jay Brunswick, who's been my go-to best friend since that day. And it just kind of, you know, you found your circle and then you got in a better circle and then a better circle. And then, you know, that all leads to my first publishing and record deal. And then all of a sudden I'm getting to be in the room with guys that I honestly, in that first year or two, really didn't have any business being in the room with, but I'm glad I was. So I, I just learned from them and, as I matured, I became more active in the room and, and really started honing my craft as a songwriter. But even on the writing, man, I really give credit to my very first creative director at my publishing company. You know, I, I was one of the last breed that really, really got taught the craft of songwriting. And so I, I learned the difference in just saying a lyric and really being poetic and painting pictures. And I, I'm, I'm so thankful for that opportunity that I had. Well, it sounds like it's really paid off. Exactly. <laughs> It absolutely did. It absolutely did. Now, David, in 2013, right around that time, kind of a new chapter started and, and a new relationship was born for you when you, you met and, and started working with Trent Willman. And then a whole lot of things started really happening after that. Uh, I mean, is it, is it safe to say that uh, that relationship and that time frame kind of paid off for you? Well, it did. But you know what? 2013 was really actually when things kind of seemed like it was good and got really dark. I didn't actually meet Trent until about 2017, I would say. Okay. I uh, So 2013 is when, well, let me, let me rewind back. You know, I talked about signing that first deal. You know, it was a record and a publishing deal. And you're 19. You're naive to the world. You just hear somebody pumping your head full of, you're about to be the biggest thing since sliced bread. Mm -hmm. You believe every word of it. And uh, all of a sudden you get the the rug ripped out from underneath you and you're back to square one. And, you know, right then was when the whole bro country movement was coming about. And so all I knew is I wanted another publishing deal and a chance in town. And so I was writing music I really was embarrassed of. I had this long hair. I was dressing like you would imagine. And uh, <laughs> that was kind of a dark time for me because in that time, you know, I got out of that publishing deal and then you find out do the legalities and the as in the words of every lawyer I talked to, the worst deal they had ever seen in their entire careers, I uh, I was stuck. I couldn't sign another publishing deal. I was about to have about four or five you know cuts as a songwriter, and they were all supposed to be singles. 
And when I found out I couldn't sign the next publishing deal, they all just disappeared. And all of a sudden, all these friends and everybody that's that's riding with him, your cheerleader disappear. And I was kind of just on my own. And uh, but that was the biggest blessing in disguise. My, my buddy Arliss Britain was managing and tour managing a bunch of acts. And so I just start hopping on the bus and help sling merch. And if I got to get out and go play for 15 minutes while they were changing out, you know, I did. But that's where I started learning the road and kind of getting out of Nashville and learning the true road dog stuff. And in the middle of that, man, uh, I, Trent's definitely a big part of it. But Daryl Singletary, that's the guy that changed my life. I uh, I ran into him and he looked me up and down and just was like, what in the heck is this and what are you doing? And uh he point blank didn't sugarcoat. He goes, you're one of the last few that gave me hope for country music, man. Like get back to your roots. And that stung. It really stung. And so that's what I did. And, you know, the more and more I got out, I started being able to play and, you know, meeting these venue owners when I'm out with these other guys on the bus and they asked me to come out and play. And in that time I started going back and doing my true country stuff I was proud of. And every night people were coming up, man, thank God, real country. And so I just kind of said, all right, well, doing it their way ain't working. Let's do it my way. And, uh, you know, somewhere in there, you insert Trent Willman, which, you know, I, I'm not gonna act like I didn't hunt him down when I realized that that was the, the man behind the whole Cody Johnson sound. I was like, you know, that's the music I want to be doing. That's, that's, people are buying this guy. Why is this town not buying into it? And so I, uh, I met Trent, we wrote a couple of songs. And after that, uh, that led to him and me really building that relationship to where he ended up producing that neon town record. And that was really the beginning of everything that's happening now. Well, you know, David, it's, it's a running theme with a lot of our guests, but, but in general, in life, you've got to seek your own truth. You, you Man, just do you have, because when you're trying to fit in to other people's molds, they don't know what to do with you. No, they don't. Well, and that's the thing with Nashville, and it's it's complicated because they always want something new, but they're terrified of something new until they see it work. And mm -hmm. you know, that time something new was just going back to doing real country music. You know, I'll never forget that that quote you see by Marty Stewart all the time as a meme. It said the most outlaw thing you can do in Nashville is put out country music. And so <laughs> I just set out and said that's what I was going to do. I was going to ride or die by it. And that was fine by me. I was at least happy and not embarrassed of the music I was making again. Right. You don't want to be embarrassed. I mean, you, you know, that's a, that's a hollow victory. Yeah, right? it really is. I mean, you know, it's don't get me wrong. My bank account would have liked all those cuts and all the stuff that might would have came with, with doing that music, but it wasn't music I would have been proud of. Right. Well, you have a lot to be proud of because we understand that you, your first seven singles went to number one on the Texas radio charts and that your songs have been streamed over 10 million times. What is going on? <laughs> Looks like you said, getting back to my roots. And I I'll even correct you that that number just moved to, to eight here about two weeks ago. Is okay. All right. Number one, but you know, I, uh, I, I'm so thankful. I, it really goes back to once again, Trent, you know, I, uh, I begged him, to beg Cody to let me open up this one show up in Northwest Arkansas that I wanted to get on the bill on. And so they did. And that night led to the next three months of opening it up for all these different Texas acts and starting that Kojo night all the way to the Aaron Watson one. Somebody, whether it, whether it was the artist himself, band member, crew member, you know, somebody would come up to me and like, man, why, you ought to come to Texas. I think you'd do well there. 
And finally, like I said, that last night with Aaron Watson, I heard it again and I packed up and I moved here. And man, it's best decision I ever made. And the main thing with here is, is it gave me the chance to always kind of laugh when I say it, but I unbrainwashed myself. I had to learn how to write this kind of music again. You know, you're, you spend so long in the machine being told, do this, do that. If it's not this content, this sound. And, you know, I, I think it really took me about a year and a half, two years before I really felt like I was back to being me, but it really shows on these newer projects. But that neon town was the beginning of it. But it's like you said, it's, it's music. I love it's music. I'm proud of. And, you know, I feel like I'm truly writing stuff I relate to ever since then. And David, I'm so glad you said that because one of the things that really jumped out at me is, as I started listening to more and more of your songs and it reminded me of uh, the, the duet of Joe and Martina, who we had on the show a year or so ago, they, they had a big hit a few years ago called give me back the nineties. <laughs> and when I listen to your music, it takes me back to that kind of 90 sound where relatable lyrics and great hooks, great message, you know, it's just really good, actually great country music. So I, I was curious what you, you just kind of touched on it to get back into that mode of really just being yourself and writing as who you really were. How did you really go about just, just doing that? Or as you said, like kind of unlearning and relearning. I mean, what was that process really like for you? Well, I'll tell you number one is I didn't write. I didn't write at all. It really, uh, it was right around the time that COVID happened that I actually started writing again. It was more just because, well, there was nothing else to do. But uh, man, once again, I don't know why I've always been good at this whole being a sponge thing and just observing and watching. But I got here, you know, I didn't even realize till I got to Texas of why it never really worked. Even, you know, when I was in Nashville, for instance, there were guys that were doing, you know, quote unquote traditional country, but it wasn't the same stuff I was doing. It was more of the kind of outlawy stuff you know it wasn't really that true texas honky tonk and so i got here and just got to be around the culture and be around the artist and and slowly learn and just you know when i got here i wanted to know about every part of the scene and where it all came from and the more and more i did that the more i realized well think about it who's my biggest influences george Strait, tracy lawrence mark chestnut you know uh, all of that music came from here and, and to me you know really the 90s and the cowboy hat guys that was just Texas country on a mainstream platform. And so I just got back to my roots and then I started finding other artists, you know, Randall King, Cody Johnson, Jake Worthington, you know, all these guys that I finally was around people that did the kind of music and the same stuff that I wanted to do. And so it was encouraging. And so listening to them inspired me to want to write and even more getting out of the machine and just writing real life. You know, people all the time complain about everything in Nashville kind of sounds the same. Well, you know, and this is no knock on the guys that are there. I've got a lot of buddies making a living off of it. But when you're in that scene, all you really know is party, chase girls, get drunk, wake up, write a song, party, chase girls, get drunk. And it's how do you relate with the average person when that's your life? You know, you, you write what you know and you almost forget what normal real life is. And so I think being thrown into that here helped me get back to my roots. And I mean, that's the content that the 90s was writing about. And so it's just kind of get back to being real again what inspired your song she don't so i'm gonna go backtrack on that one so i actually wrote that when i was still in nashville we had just finished recording the neon town record and uh 
uh, funny story, me and Trent were sitting down and picking out songs. Of course, you got to remember, I had 11 years to write that entire thing because most of them songs were too country, according to the label, from the first record I made. And I'll never forget, Trent had just stopped. He was just grinning ear, ear to ear going through these songs. And he goes, I bet you got a lot of dudes at your shows. I was like, what the heck is that supposed to mean? And he said, man, there ain't a love song in this entire batch. And, you know, at that time, my life was like, well, I ain't really had a reason or inspiration for that. And so <laughs> I uh, I get in the room with Billy Montana and Frank Myers, which, you know, that was another one of them days where I'm going to take credit for being in the room. But I, I was in with some very heavy hitters that knew how to write a lot better than I do. And I kind of sponged on that one. But we just got on a great idea. And, you know, one thing I, I, I pride myself on is being able to just put myself in a mental situation to write a song, even if I've never lived it, you know? And so we've all thought we've been in love at some point or another, you know, of course, you know, I'm skipping, jumping ahead now, being engaged now, I truly understand that song where at the time I really didn't, but I just knew it was a great song, but I never really related to it. And honestly, if you heard the demo we did, I never would have cut that song until now either. I mean, it was straight bro country vibes as far as the way it got demoed, but uh, you know, you fast forward to now and I started kind of digging through some of my back catalog to see if there was a hit that I'd missed. And I came across that song and it's just me and Amanda to a T and Aww. musically I knew, you know, the fiddle, the steel, I knew how to strip it down. And, you know, it's, it's a very pop melody. It really is, but I knew how to produce it and make it country music the way I think it needs to be. And so it was just the perfect time. Well, it'll be interesting to see how many more love songs come out from you now that you're in this relationship <laughs> there's there's definitely a, a lot more you know we're getting ready to go track uh we're gonna finish this this new record now uh next week and so you know it's the hard part for me is all the music i grew up listening to was all cheating and sad songs i mean a lot of that's why you know listen to that new jake worthington record same thing he's in love he's married and living the best day of his life but all them songs are breakup songs because that's what our heroes sang. But no, there, there's definitely inspiration for a lot more of that stuff. And I mean, you know, even one two step away, I know it's kind of a tongue in cheek kind of dancing song, but it's just, you know, I have a reason to really believe them and write them now. Mm -hmm. yeah, and one other thing, David, that I wanted to just touch on real quick is the fact that, you know, in that Texas music scene, and I, I was a huge fan of Trent's, you know, years ago. And as you were saying, when he made the comment about, you know, you got a lot of dudes, I'm saying, wait a minute, this coming from the guy who wrote Beer Man and Dixie Rose <laughs> Deluxes and, you know, well, he did have Daddies and Daughters. That was a really cute song. Right. Um, but I remember Trent, uh, uh, Pat Green, Jack Ingram, there were all these guys in sort of that Texas music scene 20-some years ago. And I still remember, I think it was around 2006 or seven. Jack Ingram gets Best New Artist from the ACMs on like his seventh album, <laughs> right. which was funny, but I, I'm wondering with social media and, and I love your social media, uh, you know, formats. And I love watching the content that you put out. Do you think that helps maybe today in getting your music out kind of beyond that area? Whereas, you know, those guys really didn't have that back then. A hundred percent. It absolutely does. Um, you know, I always say the good thing about social media and, the, and this digital age is everybody can be heard. The bad news is everybody can be heard. So <laughs> it's, you know, it's a challenge because you've always got to find ways to stay out in front, you know, and, you know, it, it it's just, you've got to be out there 
grinding away and you know even the 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 publishing deal i mean you know they're always on me more TikToks, more TikToks, and you know i mean we're road dog and we're on the road more days than we're not really at this point and so there's only so much time you can make videos and do all that but a lot of it is in this scene you know there's no layer between you and the fans which is what this new age of social media is doing but getting out and truly playing for them they're not seeing some video they can scroll by in five seconds, you know, even if they just came to a, a bar and we happen to be the band there, they're going to sit there and watch us. So we're just continuously throwing ourselves out there and showcasing, but the social media thing really helps because, you know, it's going to algorithm you into people that like your kind of music and show them. And, you know, you got five seconds really to, to make them keep listening or they're going to swap. So well, it seems like it's going quite well for you with eight number ones. Now, congratulations on that. Another another win in the, you know, another check in the win box. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us. And we know that things are going to just continue to take off for you. And we're really glad that you took the time to come and chat with us. Well, I appreciate y'all having me. And uh, hopefully this is the first of many. Definitely, definitely. Don't forget about us now. <laughs> Absolutely not. Y'all are the first podcast to Zoom anything here in the new house, so I'll definitely remember this one. <laughs> oh, and congratulations on the new home. Well, thank you, thank you. It's uh, It's been a work in progress. We're getting there, but I appreciate it. Yeah, it definitely takes time. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and folks, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Call me up at 2 a.m. I know that buzz is kicking in. I'm thinking here we go again, again. Is it the whiskey or the wine? It's got me somewhere on your mind. How it happens every time. Every time I'm getting tired of these drinking games You start lying in that whiskey way Saying you're lonely, saying you want me Seeing what I might say We both know that this is all pretend It's the kind of game that no one wins It just ain't fair and I don't wanna play I'm getting tired of these drinking games I'm tired of playing by your rules This ain't love and this ain't cool It may be fun but I ain't no fool I ain't your fool and I'm getting tired of these drinking games Start lying in that whiskey way Saying you're lonely Saying you want me Seeing what I might say We both know that this is all pretend It's the kind of game that no one wins It just ain't fair And I don't want
It's the kind of game that no one wins 